Geekish Cast is a member of the Astro Panda Productions Network. Welcome back to Geekish Cast. I'm your host, Jeremy, and joining me today from Alterna Comics is Peter Sametti. How are you doing, Peter? I'm doing good. How are you? I am doing quite well. First off, let me thank you for taking the time to join us. Um, for those who are listening who may not know your name, you are the uh, publisher and president of Alterna Comics, or am I getting something wrong there? Uh, no, that's correct. That's correct. Yep. Okay. So why don't you tell us a little bit real quick about your background in comic books and what it was that first turned you on to them? Um, as far as my background goes, uh, I, I founded Alterna back in, uh, 2006 and I've been doing that since, um, I, I started out self-publishing my work, uh, and Alterna was a bit of an alias for my stuff and eventually started catching on, um, and, and made a publishing company out of it. And, and that's how that went. Um, as far as what got me into comics, I, I've always been into comics as far as, as, as I know, um, I love the art and the characters and everything else. So. I've been I've been reading them for for forever. Is there uh, what comic do you remember first catching your eye? Do you do you does it stand out in your memory? Um, I know when I was little, I, I loved uh, Spider Man and and Hulk and Fantastic Four. I was I was more into Marvel than uh, than DC, but uh, I always liked Batman and, and things like that too. Okay, well that certainly makes sense. And when you started doing your own uh, comic books, were you doing? Like superhero stuff, what was what was your genre that you preferred to create in? Uh, it was kind of like a like a sci-fi kind of thing um, on the first one I did, and and then I'm, I'm probably most known for doing the chair, which is a, uh, a psychological horror kind of comic. Um, as far as creating uh, superhero stuff, I think we've got a couple things like that at Alterna, but um, nothing really predominantly superhero. Okay. What the heck was that? Uh, I think that was my phone. I think it was vibrating. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I'm looking around for a giant wasp. Um, now, the chair, if I'm not mistaken, you got that made into a movie. Yeah, we uh, we had interest uh, back in uh, 2008, 2009, when the, uh, the graphic novel first came out. And from that point, uh, it kind of got us interested into maybe developing it into a film. And, and a couple different production companies were, were interested, but... Uh, some of them thought it was a little too dark or, or it wasn't really the right thing for them. Um, they wanted to change some stuff and, and we just didn't really want to go that route. So eventually we just did the uh, independent thing and raised mm-hmm. uh, capital on Kickstarter. So uh, we got interest from investors from that point and, um, and now the, the film actually recently showed in, um, in New Jersey. Uh, it actually didn't show in New Jersey this weekend. It's going to show in New Jersey, but it just showed in uh, Wisconsin and in um, in Berlin, in Germany, over the weekend. Oh wow! People finding it. Are people pretty receptive to it so far? Yeah, people have been really liking it. Um, it's it's tough with uh, something like horror because of mm-hmm. uh, the connotations of of a lot of different horror. It's it's all over the place. You get Hostel, Nightmare on Elm Street, uh, other things like The Conjuring. I mean, they're all different. So. People going into it, uh, not necessarily knowing what to expect, um, they might think, oh, we're going to take a, a, a different approach with it or certain angles, but it, it's a little bit more grounded. It's kind of like a uh, uh, an intense like psychological thriller kind of horror, sort of like a, a Silence of the Lambs kind of a thing. 
Okay, outstanding. And now we're going to have to see if my research paid off or not here. Um, you got a pretty big name in that movie, don't you? Yeah, it was actually um, it was actually Roddy Piper's last uh, feature film role before he unfortunately passed away. Uh, but Roddy was great. Um, he did phenomenal in the film, probably uh, his best acting work, honestly. Um, and, and I've seen a bunch of his movies, even some that, that aren't as, as well known as They Live and, and Hell Comes to Frogtown. So he did he did such a great job. Uh, and I really hope people see it just just for that alone. But everybody did a terrific job in it. That's outstanding. So uh, were you were you a wrestling fan when you were young? Oh yeah, yeah, definitely. I had, uh, I still have actually uh, Roddy Piper figures from when I was a kid and and bed sheets and things like that. And it was it was crazy talking to him on the phone. And then a couple of the conversations we had were so great and uh, and something I always remember. That's outstanding. How when you spoke to him, was he anything like his uh, on air persona, or did you find him to be a very different kind of person? Um, I, I guess if, if, if you get on the, a certain topic with him, he can get a little more passionate, but he was pretty mellow. Um, he was just a nice, easygoing guy. Uh, he'd call me up trying to get the character right. And we'd end up starting to talk about other things and going on tangents and talking about life and, and, and his family and, and my family and, and, and his past and his upbringing and wrestling and things like that. So it was, it was really nice to, to meet a childhood hero and, 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 and see how awesome of a person they were. Cause I know sometimes that could be a bit of a, of a letdown. Well, I know a lot of people I've talked to have always said, never meet your heroes. So I'm glad to hear it worked out for you. Yeah. Yeah. No, he was, he was fantastic. And, uh, when, when I heard he passed, it was, it was really tough to deal with. And, um, unfortunately it wasn't out there for the, uh, the filming. So I had always figured I would eventually get a chance to actually meet him and, and shake his hand and everything. But that, that never really came to pass. So, yeah um you know it, it's the way it is unfortunately but but he did a he did a fantastic job and it's kind of cool because uh in the film too there's a couple other 80s icons in there like zach galligan from gremlins and noah hathaway from never ending story so to have all three oh, on wow. the screen together it's it's kind of cool that sounds really cool now going from having created an independent comic company to creating an independent movie did you find that there were crossover skills you learned from comics that applied to making independent film? I mean, how how similar or dissimilar did you find them to be? Um, they're, they're pretty similar, I guess, in in, in the basics of it. Mm-hmm. But in terms of execution, it's definitely different. Um, with comics, it's it's you're working with like maybe one other person sometime, maybe three other people. But with a film, I mean, this this wasn't even that big of a of a production, but there's about a hundred people involved. So to make sure that they're they're all on the same page was was definitely a, a tougher experience than it was with uh, making a comic. Sure thing, yeah. I guess the size of it would be an issue because even if it's just a handful of actors and directors, you still got sound guys and lighting and on yeah, down the yep. road. Yep. Yeah. Whereas you could probably come up with an idea for a comic and have it print ready in two three weeks if you really wanted to push it hard. Yeah, I mean, um, with with comics, it's 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 a lot easier because everybody does what they do and 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 for the most part you know even if someone's got an idea and they want to inject something in uh, it's a lot easier of a process to make sure everybody else understands where to go from that point but with film uh, you you really gotta kind of stick to to what's going on and and then have communication be as 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 good as possible um sometimes you know it's just not that way but for the most part you, you try to you try to do that 
Sure thing. So let's talk a little bit about um, when you first started self-publishing and how you ended up going from you know self-publishing to actually having your company become a publisher. Um, how how far into your self-publishing, how many books or kind of series had you done on your own before you started thinking about publishing other people's work? Uh, I think I just did about maybe – it was either two or three issues of my own stuff. And, um, and from that point, I think stuff was spreading around and people were submitting stuff into me. And after a while, I kept getting really good stuff sent in. And and people were, were telling me they were rejected by you know Image and all these other ones and and I'm, and I'm looking at it and I'm like that's just that that's just crazy because this is really good stuff and and it, and it's it's a shame that it might never really see the light of day and uh, and I, I figured along the lines you know maybe we could just kind of try to to work together as like a, a community more or less and and, and help each mm-hmm. other out and you know the strength in numbers kind of thing and um, from there Alterna kind of did the POD uh, print on demand thing and we put out single issues for a while. And, and then I think for about a year we did that. And then once we got picked up for distribution, um, I just, it, and it kind of ties into the newsprint stuff we're doing now. Um, I just didn't feel like comic books w- were comic books at the time. Um, POD is great and, and it does what you need to do. Um, and premium stuff is great too, but it is, there's just something not, uh, it never jived with me that it was the same kind of thing as a as a comic that I loved when I was a kid. And and I always figured if I'm going to put out a comic book, um, I really want it to kind of look like the stuff I grew up with and stuff that, that a lot of people grew up with. It was like that for like 60, 70 years. Uh, so it's only really a recent thing with the premium paper stuff. But um, we went into graphic novel stuff for the most part. And uh, putting out graphic novels for about 11 years, maybe about a handful of single issues. But nothing more than that. So okay, yeah. So we, we we were doing a lot of uh graphic novel stuff into Diamond, which is the uh, the only comic shop distributor at this point. If anybody's not familiar with them, and um and then the book trade, so Barnes and Noble, Amazon, all those kind of places. Yeah, there was a time, and I, I kind of want to talk about a couple of things there because there's a lot to unpack in what you just said. There was a time early on when people first started getting online real heavily. I thought we were going to see a massive shift in comic books to more like a read online and then you'd buy a digest every quarter, maybe with like the best of kind of thing. Um, but what I'm, what I'm amazed by is that you started this business at really the start of a, the biggest economic downturn we'd seen in, Almost a hundred years. Oh yeah, and almost took out the company too. Mm-hmm. I'm sure it did, but you're still standing, and that's kind of the amazing part. So you started publishing comics at a point where comics are already not selling as well as they had just ten years before, but then at a point where publishers were dying left and right. And obviously, I mean, you, you kind of answer the question already, but how hard a time period was that for you just getting out on your own to make it through that period of time? It was uh, it was really tough because uh, I don't have any investors on the company. I, I pretty much operate the whole thing myself, more or less. Um, and I'm not I'm not a independently wealthy kind of guy. Uh, I was working two, sometimes three j- different jobs at that point to to keep the business afloat. And um, at the time uh, before uh, the the credit uh, crisis hit, 
it, it wasn't too bad in terms of being able to finance print runs. But once that hit, I mean, we were looking at, at credit cards that had ten to fifteen thousand on it, going down to like two thousand, and um, that that just almost killed the company completely back in like two thousand nine, two thousand ten. And we actually had to do a little bit of a of a crowdfunding, um, Indiegogo or a Kickstarter or something like that at the time, and uh, to to try to get some finances going because the the loans and lines of credit and all that stuff that wasn't getting anywhere for us. So uh, if we didn't have people that supported us at that time, we we definitely would have been closed a couple of years ago. So I'm glad to say that that didn't happen, and we we did have people that cared enough about the books. And in in 2011, we put out a New York Times bestseller. So it's kind of cool. Oh, what was that? That's a uh, Fubar uh, Empire of the Rising Dead. It's a uh, World War II zombie book. Oh, outstanding. Um, so why don't we talk a little bit real quick, just what are some of, I mean, I know you can't get to them all, and I don't want anybody that you do publish to get upset that you didn't name them here, but tell us a little bit about a couple of the titles you're doing and kind of what genres you're in. Okay, um, I mean, I could I could talk about uh, the newsprint stuff we've got coming out, because that, that kind of encompasses everything we do. Yeah, well, um, let's let's talk about that then, because that's actually what what made me contact you is I saw that you were actually kind of taking comic back comic books back to the old school look by going newsprint again. Yeah, um, it must have hit a nerve with a lot of people too, because uh, it was mostly a passion project of mine to try to find one every year. I'd get it on my butt to do a search for a newsprint printer, and every year it was kind of the same thing, and couldn't really find one that could do it. Uh, and do it affordably, at least not at the numbers we wanted. Uh, a lot of them want numbers like twenty-five to 50,000 units, and that's just that's not going to happen sometimes even for Marvel and DC, let alone an indie mm. publisher. So uh, only very recently we found one that could do it for 5,000 to 10,000 units and, and do them really, really well and really cheap. So it, it finally became a viable option this year, and that's why we're doing it this year. Um, and it just, I guess, it managed to hit a nerve with people because we we got about a hundred submissions overnight to be on a part of the line, and then uh, we had a bunch of different retailers and customers and 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 new people even contacting us about the whole thing, really excited about it. So it's something that we haven't really ever had that kind of um, of interest, and and it's just based on bringing back newsprint books. That's really cool, and I think and now. I'm going to make a supposition here or just kind of a, a wild mass guess, but do you think the three to four dollars for a 22 page comic book is what makes people so excited about the prospect of a lower cost uh, yeah, newsprint book? I think it's a one two punch kind of thing because because we easily could have done even even two ninety nine for a newsprint book and people probably would have been like, oh, yeah, that's that's kind of cool. They're bringing back newsprint. But mm-hmm. uh, we're looking at print runs that are about three times less the amount that a normal print run would be. So I figure we might as well just pass on the savings to people and, and kind of do the, the price to, to get them out to as many people as we can. And, um, sure. and I now, think that really, that really struck something with people as well. Are your comics in the newsprint line? Are they going to be full color? Uh, yes, we're going to have full color books and a couple of black and white. That's, that's pretty amazing. Um, 
And so this was just kind of a, a thing you wanted to do without any real, <laughs> any real, uh, need to find a cheaper way. I mean, besides the obvious, just finding a cheaper way to do it's always better typically, but this is just something you wanted to do to kind of give a, this is what comic books are supposed to look like. Is that kind of yeah, what I you mean, were going uh, for? Yeah. Originally what we were going to do is release, um, an anniversary series of the like 10 founding alterna titles and, the creators that were still with us and, and just do like a one shot uh, on newsprint and kind of have a throwback vibe to it. And then just, that was it. And we did it and, and, and we can move on. But once we announced everything and um, about doing newsprint and the reaction was, was overwhelming. I think it was one of Newsrama's most shared articles uh, between 2016 and 2017. Um, I was like, you know, what? we got to really see if we could actually do this in a bigger way. And maybe get advertising to fund these things and, and see about actually doing full lines and stories and, and actually get a mini series out there and, and get a bunch of different titles. And, and so we've done that and, and we opened up advertising. And I think at this point we're, we're mostly sold out of advertising for May, June, July, and I think a little bit into August. Wow. And, um, yeah. So, so even in terms of, uh, financing the print runs on the books, um, as, as far as the comic shop runs were concerned, uh, it was all taken care of with advertising as well. And, and we actually had a lot of advertisers, um, big names too, like Ultra Pro and, and, um, and, and places like that, uh, excited to just put ads in a newsprint book. They just wanted to advertise solely based on the fact that it was newsprint. So that was kind of cool. <laughs> that's, that's amazing. Um, and, you know, I just, the thing that keeps coming back in my head is like, this is what comic books look like to me. You know, this is the newsprint, the adverts, you know, the half pages. I hope you get an ad for Sea Monkeys in there because then you're all set. I actually reached out. I tried and uh, <laughs> didn't hear anything. <laughs> tried on social media, tried their website and uh, the, the Twitter page. They don't have many followers, but I did try to reach out to them and, uh, and I haven't heard anything yet. I mean, maybe eventually I will. I tried to reach out to like Charleston Chu and Hostess and all those guys and, oh, wow. and um, you know, try to really get oh. the, the retro stuff going, but we'll see. How maybe cool would it, up. how cool would it be to have your characters or some, you know, some characters that you publish in a Hostess ad? Oh yeah. That'd be, that'd be amazing. Yeah, uh, that was that was part of the fun of, of comics. I mean, I mean, even the word fun with comics is not really associated uh, that much anymore, which is a shame because they're so they're so serious. And, and I think heroes fight each other now more than they fight villains. Um, so to bring some of that back, even though we're not having just books that are superhero or all ages oriented um, to, to bring some of the fun back and and. and that, that that's kind of the coolest part of it and and I'm I'm looking forward to it. I know a bunch of the creators are definitely looking forward to it as well. That sounds amazing. And you're right. I think very often these days, especially superhero books, but I think comic books Well, there was a time and I'm I I'm guessing you're in your thirties, am I right? Yep. Okay. So there was a time when when you know, probably when you were younger and definitely when I was younger, we would lament how not grown up comic books were and books like, uh, the dark Knight came out and why can't there be more stuff like this? And for about 15 years now, we've had more stuff like that. And now we're all kind of in a hurry to get back to having fun with it. So I'm actually happy to see that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, even, even the heavy stories at times, it's, it's, it's great to have the heavy stories when there's also other stories to kind of balance them out that are lighter. Um, but, but sometimes the heavy stories, and this is something that I find is missing a lot from modern comic books as opposed to the, the darker stories of the eighties and nineties. 
um, they, they kind of don't seem to have a point. It just seems like darkness for darkness sake, uh, an edgy character just because it's an edgy character. Um, it's, there's not really any kind of heart to the story. There's no real rhyme or reason. The, the psychology of the characters really isn't there. It just seems like we're going to have dark and brooding characters because Batman sells really well and we need something like Batman. And, mm-hmm. and you're losing the, the, the pathos behind Batman and why that kind of story lends itself well to dark and brooding. Um, so when everything just kind of seems uh, like darkness for darkness sake, uh, I think we're also just losing the substance of the stories. And, and a lot of that stuff seems to be reverberating. And I think that's that's another reason, too, with the the price is that you buy a book and it doesn't really pan out and it feels like no one really cared about making this thing. And, and you're like, wow, I'm now I'm out of five bucks on something that I could care less for. And how many times can you do that and be disappointed? So if, if that happens and it's a, a dollar book or a dollar 50 and it's, it's something you might actually even end up sticking with seeing, well, maybe this might get better in the next issue as opposed to, you know, you just drop the book and that's it. And, yeah. and at the end of the day too, the retailer ends up hurting because they have non-returnable stock. So if, if a book just doesn't seem to move or large amounts of books from certain publishers don't seem to move, that turns into a very serious issue for retailers and could put many of them out of business, which it has. So we got to keep those guys around as well and, and look to keeping customers coming in the store and selling stuff. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I guess right now, and I, this number was released last year, so I'm hoping that trend is still holding, but it looked like it had been the best year for comic sales for 20 years was 2016. So at least if that's true, I'm hoping it's still the case, but at least it's a good time to be back in that industry. Hopefully it will reflect on local retailers and that as well. Um, have you noticed an uptick at all? Not, I mean, obviously not since the downturn, but in the last year or so. Uh, there, it's so difficult with comic book numbers because those are, are not sell through numbers. So it's not, mm-hmm. it's not a number that goes from publisher then to a reader or a consumer. It goes to, you know, publisher to distributor to retailer. So you could have 400 books sell, uh, of let's say, I don't know, Wolverine f- four or whatever whatever it is, because they're not, they're definitely not Wolverine 40 is not out. That's not happening anymore in comics. Um, so let's say Wolverine number four sells 400 copies at a store. Um, you don't know though, if all those are actually even selling. I mean, I know a bunch of reta- retailers personally that y- you go in the store and they're like, yeah, we just had to order like 200 of this because we had to get that variant. And, and now we're stuck with about a hundred. Yeah. And, we sold and, 10 of them. Yeah. You know, and, and they're like, yeah, we, you know, we could have probably just sold like 50 of these and we would have ordered maybe like 70. But because of that variant, we ordered 200 and now we're stuck with X amount of copies that have to be sold at a loss. I mean, that's, you do that, you know, enough times. And especially like this isn't, you know, alternative putting out something like that. This is a bunch of different books from the top selling, you know, publishers that keep these stores afloat more or less. Right. Uh, and, and that becomes a, a big problem. So, I mean, I don't know if at this point, if something like newsprint comics is gonna is gonna take off with the bigger publishers, because I, I imagine their uh, their parent companies don't want to hear about putting out a lesser a lesser quality product, technically, uh, with a smaller price tag and lesser amount of books. <laughs> 
But no, um, I'm sure they don't. In yeah. terms of indie, that'd be great if we could see a bunch of indie publishers um, going newsprint and, and and cheaper every now and then. I know uh, Walking Dead put out a, a 25 cent issue that did really well for them, and 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 that was that was a bit of a uh, of, of a of a gimmicky kind of thing, um, so they could really boost readership. And I I don't think they really made anything on it, but I know that it was that kind of a injection into the the, the comic market what what they thought really needed to be done but it, it spoke to people i mean i know people did definitely get it and people have been getting dollar books from uh, valiant and and uh and dynamite and and things like that so if it was more of a sustainable kind of thing um i think it would it would work really well uh but i guess only time will tell yeah of course um why don't you tell us a couple a couple of the titles that you're gonna be releasing in your news front line yeah, so uh, we've got a couple of great all ages books for uh, for May because that's when they're releasing. They're they're available for pre order right now in comic shops. But um, the all ages titles, uh, one of them's called Amazing Age. That's a pretty cool one. It's like Stranger Things but with superheroes. Um, another one is uh, Lilith Dark, which is a a, a pretty cool little uh, sword and fantasy type of book with a a, a girl that imagines that she's fighting monsters all the time and she turns out that they're actually real so she's got to save her family um so that's kind of a a cool a cool little book and these aren't books that that necessarily talk down to kids at all either so so i think that's that's pretty good about about how they do that because there's a lot of kid books sometimes that, that make kids feel like kids which which no kid really wants to feel that way um and then uh another one called adam wreck which is kind of like lost in space meets star wars it's got that vibe to it um, and those are great for all ages, and those will release uh, the Wednesday before Free Comic Book Day. So hopefully they'll be on shelves, and, and the kids that come into the store that weekend will be interested, and, and parents won't balk at the price tag either because fifty. I mean, how can you say no to that? Yeah, exactly. Well, you know, when I was a kid, you know, say like the late 70s, comic books were 35 cents. Yeah, you know? and I mean, you know, even... <laughs> I mean- even when people talk about that too, and they they, they want to mention inflation and things like that, and I mean, well, you know, at the same time, it's certain industries that that can happen, and certain industries doesn't. I mean, look at costs of technology and computers and TVs, and you know that stuff was like I think my first computer did next to nothing, and it was like almost two grand. And um, now computers do things that we didn't even think they were capable of twenty years ago, and they cost a fraction of that. So, oh, absolutely. You know, it's, it's, it's not always just, you know, everything's inflation, so the price always has to go up. No, no, Matt, Matt, well, like you're saying there, price on a lot of things has gone down. Uh, my real-life job is plumbing sales. I oh, can yeah. pull out a catalog that's 20 years old and show you that things were more expensive 20 years ago than they are now, even in inflation-adjusted dollars. Yeah, yeah, you exactly. Know? Not everything necessarily I- needs to go up. Well, yeah. Well, and let's just, I mean, just using you as an example, there was a time if you were going to self-publish a comic book, like you were saying, your print run was going to have to be at least seven or 8,000. Otherwise your book was going to have to be $14. Yeah. Yeah. That's not, that's not the case anymore. You can do shorter runs. You can do, um, well, color separation. That used to be, you know, a whole bunch of money on its own. Well, you've got a program on your computer, most people do now, 10 clicks of a button, and your colors are separated already. Yeah, yeah, the whole pre-press has, uh, has completely changed. Um, just just stuff like that, little little stuff that's made it a lot more accessible to people. Um, if anything, that that's another reason, too, with the whole 
pricing that we chose to to settle at because uh, there's more comic books now than ever in a store. Mm-hmm. Um, it's 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 not like the 80s and there's 20 or 30 books and and that's just, that's about it. You know, we're talking about I don't even know like 100 to 200 books uh, and that's calling it low every month from from all the publishers together. So just that alone. Uh, I can't imagine that there's anyone out there that, that gets every single thing that comes out. But um, even if you're someone that's getting 10, 20, 30, 40 books, uh, if you're looking at what they're, what they're going to be at, at some publishers, which is about five bucks a piece within probably a year to three years, um, that's a lot of money. That's a lot of money every single week to spend that much. So, you know, a dollar fifty. Even if the the paper is a newsprint, I mean, it's really hard to argue. I think so. Uh, hopefully, people will, will will take to that once they see the books, especially and um, and uh, and back to a, another one of the ones we've got in May. Uh, it's actually a, a more adult oriented book. It's it's a it's a horror book called Croak, mm-hmm. and uh, and that one just won an award for for best limited uh, horror series. So. I think people will really, will really like that one, and um, and even though it's not it's not all ages or anything like that, it's, it's it's something good for the adults to get into, and you can buy something for your kids, and and you can enjoy that one. And then in June we got a whole bunch of other titles coming out too, so it, we've got oh, a awesome. lot of stuff for everybody. So yeah, we we I think we've got about twelve or fifteen uh, different titles releasing this year, and they're they're about three to five issues for each miniseries. All right. Well, so let's um let's talk about this real quick since you're kind of doing advertising supported print runs or, you know, titles. Um if somebody wanted to advertise with you, what are you, you know, what are you basically charging? What's kind of the the long and the short? What do you get for 50 bucks, you know, that sort of thing? Yeah, I mean, um for 50 bucks you could probably get I, th- I think it's a a third of a page. Uh we go as low as 20 for a black and white quarter. Oh, wow. Um and I think it's as much as 200 for a back cover, which I think is pretty unheard of in terms of the print runs we're looking at because yeah, it's really reasonable. Yeah. Um, cause especially right now, um, a lot of our advertisers are actually, uh, really excited about the fact that we got picked up for newsstand distribution, which, which is, has been completely uncharted territory for a creator owned publisher in, in decades. I think the last one to do that was really like image back in the nineties. Um, wow. so, so our, our our print runs are are looking a lot higher now <laughs> than they were a month ago when we didn't when we didn't have newsstand and we were all prepping for uh, comic shops. Um, so it's something like two hundred bucks for a back cover for ten to twenty thousand on a print run. I mean that's that's pretty unheard of. Uh, that's and, and, amazing. Yeah. Yeah. And, and we're not looking to necessarily profit off of the advertising, so it's it, it helps everybody out. We get print runs covered, and and advertisers get exposure, and we're even looking at other um, other publishers and creators as well for advertising. We're not just doing in-house ads, so it's not it's not like a Marvel book that you'll see just Marvel ads or a DC book that you'll see just them. Um, you'll see other publishers as well because we're just we're just that's how we are. I mean, I, I view. If people are going to like what they like, it, it doesn't matter if, if we don't uh, put it, an ad for it. They're going to discover it, and there's enough room for everybody. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, might as well help people spread the word. Well, I'd figure, I mean, especially for a smaller company, 
what's good for the comics industry as a whole is good for you. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. And that sounds to me kind of the direction you're coming from. Um, so are you guys still actively taking submissions from people? Uh, you know, are, can people send you if they've got a finished book? What is your submission process like? Yeah, it's, it's pretty easy. Um, it's about, it's about eight pages or so. And, and preferably if, if you've got a cover, that'd be great. Um, it's not, it's not necessarily required for the submission, but, uh, eight completed pages because I get a lot of pitches where people tell me, Oh, well, I've got a script done, but you know, no artist. And, and I'm like, well, you know, your script sounds good, but it's impossible for me to judge because it's comics. So I need to see the art. Um, right. so if, if you get eight completed pages, and 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 really try to to match a professional standard or, or or something that you think looks really great and 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 learn from what is successful and what works and and what you like about comics um and that usually makes for the best submission uh especially too if 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 you can read a couple of alternative books this way you get an idea of what we publish as well because we might not be the right publisher for your book you might actually have something that's good but we're just not right for it and that that happens as well um so just to save everybody time, it's always good to to take a look at maybe two or three titles and and really see well you know are these guys good for me too because it's something that I'm going to work really hard on and, and support and I should want someone that that I feel like they do quality work you know and and some sometimes people don't really do that they don't really do the whole uh, make sure the publisher is good for you too kind of a thing they're they're so eager to get their stuff out there and and they just kind of submit to you know, every publisher possible. And sometimes a publisher might say yes, but then you look deeper at that point and you're like, Oh, I don't really like that publisher and, and the stuff they put out now that I think about it. So it's always important to research who you're submitting to as well. Well, yeah. And, and like you're saying, you may just not be a good fit. You, you know, you, you, they say yes, but they traditionally publish like adult leaning uh, horror comics and you've got something that doesn't fit. It might be a good idea to hold on to that and go see, go find out about something else. Yeah, yeah. And uh, our submissions are open all the time, so we don't have any uh, submissions period during the year. It's just you can go to alternacomics.com and read the submission guidelines and submit your story there. Awesome. Well, uh, Peter, if people want to find Alterna Comics online, uh, where can they look for you at? Uh, they can look for me uh, uh Probably Twitter is the best place at Peter Sametti and at Alterna Comics. And then you can check out the website at alternacomics.com. Okay. Are you guys on Facebook as well? Yep, we're on Facebook too. But Twitter seems to be the most active place for us. Gotcha. And are your books being carried at Amazon? I didn't look at that yet. Yep, they're being carried uh, at Amazon, Barnes & Noble, pretty much anywhere you can get books. We're distributed by IPG for the book market, um, Diamond for comic shops, and and just recently, uh, PDG for uh, newsstands. That's outstanding. And I do believe on your website, which is alternacomics.com, people can go print a, an order sheet with your books on it, right? So they can take it right to their comic shop and yep, have all yep. your stuff. You're making it nice and easy for people without them having to tear out a page in a comic book. <laughs> yeah. See, I, you know what I did for years after uh, the um, after the 90s glut and people were kind of still buying but not in the normal numbers? When I bought a comic book, I'd read it, tear the front cover off, and then give the book to somebody else. That way, if it was, nobody's going to be able to collect it. They just could read it. I think that's what they used to do for returns, too. 
back in the day, yeah, they yeah, tear the cover yeah. off so that way they, yeah, so they couldn't get recycled or run back through. Um, cool. Well, Peter, thank you very much. I appreciate you taking the time. Please make sure you keep sending us, uh, uh, press releases and news updates. I'd love to have you back whenever you want to come back on to talk about what's going on too. Sure. Sounds great. Thanks for having me on. All right. Thank you very much. Everybody, you can catch us at geekishcast.com or on Facebook at facebook.com slash geekishcast. And I tweet from at the geekishcast. Please rate and review us on iTunes and Google Play, and we will see you all soon. Thank you. Geekish Cast is a Vias and Victor production and is part of the Astro Panda Productions Network. You can find us now on SoundCloud and on Blog Talk Radio. Our theme music is taken from the song Out to Get Mine by Reign of Zeus. Check them out at reignofzeus.net.